From Toronto, Ontario, that was Dunai, and that was Ukrainovstvai, or Revolution. Dobritein i vitaju vas vsih šanovni radiju suhači na radio programu Naš holos radio ukrajinskoho korinja. Pri mikrofoni Pavlina Djaku juščo rišala je prebuti zimnoju stjehodni.
Hello there and welcome to Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio. I'm Pavlina, your host. Thank you so much for joining me. We've got a great program lined up for you. We'll have our Proverb of the Week, other items of interest, and of course, great Ukrainian music. And coming up next, a Ukrainian group from Poland. You will definitely need to get those dancing boots laced up. Here is Horpina with Marusia. Marusia! Hey, Rostra, I'm a 
Thanks to the foresight and generosity of its donors, the Taras Shevchenko Foundation has been investing in the future of the Ukrainian-Canadian community for over 50 years. Since 1963, the Taras Shevchenko Foundation has been funding initiatives that strengthen our Ukrainian-Canadian identity and enhance our Ukrainian-Canadian cultural heritage. These include fine and performing arts and arts groups, museums, cultural centers, education, as well as authors, journalists, and the Ukrainian-Canadian media, including this program. The Foundation strives to become the premier not-for-profit foundation in a Canada which acknowledges the Ukrainian-Canadian community as a fundamental component of Canadian society. Nash Hollis listeners are encouraged to support this vision through continued donations into the future. To apply for grants, make a donation, or for more information, visit ShochenkoFoundation.com. Now, the latest news stories from Ukraine, courtesy Ukraine's first international English news channel, Ukraine Today. One Ukrainian soldier is dead and two other are wounded after a vehicle they were traveling in hit a road mine in Donbass. According to Ukraine's military spokesman, there were no other injuries reported overnight. Ukrainian Army's press office says there were at least 20 shellings by Russian-backed separatist forces in the past 24 hours. The most active zones were in the Donetsk region, aimed in the direction of Mariupol. Small towns of Avdiivka and Marienka were also hit by enemy fire. One Ukrainian soldier died and two were wounded during the military drills in western Ukraine on May 5. The country's Ministry of Defense reported the casualty was caused by an accidental blast of a projectile. After the servicemen finished their artillery training, the shell unexpectedly exploded. The wounded were sent to a military hospital. Russian tanks continue to arrive in eastern Ukraine. Moscow advances dozens of combat vehicles, red missile systems and mortars to the Russian-backed separatists in the occupied territories of Donetsk and Luhansk regions. Kyiv says the arms are transported by trains every day. The militants use them to shell the positions of the Ukrainian soldiers along the whole contact line. There are fears provocations may be planned for May 9, which is when Russia celebrates Victory Day over the Nazi Germany. Over half a million children in Ukraine's war-torn Donbass region need immediate help. This is according to UNICEF. The aid organization says at least one in five schools have been destroyed. Same goes for kindergartens. UNICEF staff claim more than 300,000 kids are unable to continue their education. Nearly the same amount of children cannot go back home because the buildings were damaged in the war. Nadia Savchenko could possibly resume her dry hunger strike. One of her lawyers, Nikolai Polozov, says she will resort to this measure if her release takes too long. The extradition of the Ukrainian pilot from Russia to Ukraine may take up to six months. Savchenko and her attorneys hope the procedure will be conducted as soon as possible. A Russian court has prohibited Crimean Tatars Majlis on the occupied peninsula. The relevant verdict was announced on April 26. The institution was declared an extremist organization. Earlier it was banned by the Ministry of Justice of the Russian Federation. Ukraine and the West have repeatedly criticized the trial process. Chief of EU's foreign policy Federica Mogherini called it a grave attack on the rights of the Crimean Tatars. 
The Donbas conflict could become frozen. French representative at the UN Security Council says the situation in eastern Ukraine will negatively impact not only that country, but everyone else too. On April 28th, the Security Council members gathered to discuss the possible elections and the ceasefire violations in the Donetsk and Luhansk regions. The officials reported the conflict took lives of more than 9,300 people. However, this session brought no progress on this issue. These sides didn't reach any agreement on the solution to the crisis. Several people are in custody on suspicion of planning terrorist attacks during Victory Day celebrations in southern Ukraine. According to Ukrainian security service, authorities liquidated a terrorist organization in the Kherson region. The group is allegedly responsible for the deadly car bombing in the village of Novo Oleksievka, which happened in April of this year. Ukraine security service says the suspected terrorists received major funds from sources in Russia. Ukrainian historians are busting the myths created by the Soviet propaganda about the Second World War. One of the main ones is the actual date of the war. Most people in the Soviet Union believe the Second World War started in June of 1941. Authors of a new book that exposes the immense amount of lies about the war say it is important to educate people about what truly took place. The lives of Ukrainians during the Nazi occupation, then the Soviet occupation, the armies the Ukrainians fought for, who was truly a hero and who was just a legend? The answers to these questions are all in this work. Previously, we had gathered up to 100 myths, but decided to focus on about half of that to show how Soviet propaganda influenced coverage in Russia and even Ukraine. Historians say the myth-busting book is available to everyone online. 50 stories that were completely fabricated and debunked step by step. The online version is easily accessible and will allow teachers to check the facts prior to teaching students based on old folks' tales. Chernobyl exclusion zone was briefly full of life over the weekend. Dozens of people returned to the place they once called home. The comeback happens every year after Easter, which marks the days of commemoration of the departed in the Eastern Rite Christian calendar. Families that left 30 years ago returned to the abandoned buildings to pay respects to their past relatives. There were nearly 130 homes in the village of Malachivka. There was at least one family living in every household. Their friends and relatives returned here not only to commemorate those who died, but also to remember the life before the explosion at Chernobyl nuclear power plant. What's life like after a nuclear disaster? Tourists from around the world come to Chernobyl to find an answer to this question. Radiation and desolation cannot stop them. On the contrary, they make the place even more alluring. Pripyat and the infamous fourth reactor of the Chernobyl nuclear power plant have become unique attractions both for foreign and local visitors. The area welcomes tourists with total silence. Suddenly, a radio report turns on. It is the old Soviet evacuation announcement that was broadcasted on the next day after the deadly accident. Visitors say it only adds to the already mysterious atmosphere of the place. I'm not afraid of anything, but I was really cautious to come here, where the radiation is huge. I have great respect for the heroes who stopped the catastrophe. The decaying town is almost frozen in time and space. Thirty years later, tourists still stumble upon personal belongings of the people who used to live here. Tour guide Oleg shows a letter found in a mailbox. It dates back to April 26, 1986, the day of the explosion at the Chernobyl nuclear power plant. Just imagine, postmen were delivering mail on that day. The town lived its normal life. 
really hope that someday the people that this letter was addressed to will come here and I will personally hand it to them. People thought they would have to leave their homes just for a couple of days. Marina and her family were among them. The woman now recalls her mother's memories on that fateful day. An army official knocked on our door. He was one of the senior staff for sure. My mom said he had tears in his eyes when he told her, get what you can and run. He said that no one could ever return here. Chernobyl has become a mecca for many thrill-seekers. People starving for mystery and adrenaline like to wander about the streets of Pripyat. They leave various signs of their presence, written messages and graffiti. We call these paintings the shadows of Chernobyl, shadows of children who used to live here. The nuclear power plant and the observation wheel in the center of Pripyat remain the most popular objects for photos and videos. Soon there will be a full-fledged tourist site there, since the Ukrainian government is set to create a biospheric national park in the next several years. To Helen Beck, Ukrainian 12th Battalion of Territorial Defense commemorates the second anniversary of its creation. These soldiers took part in some of the fiercest battles in eastern Ukraine. They were shot by the Russian Grad rockets. They fought the Russian-backed separatist forces in the center of their stronghold Luhansk. On August 2 we entered Luhansk and put the Ukrainian flag up on a police building. For three weeks we stood our ground in the city. The soldiers paid tribute to the fallen brothers today. The losses of the battalion are estimated to be 13 dead and 82 wounded. Most of them died when the Russian troops crossed the border in the summer of 2014. Alexander is no longer in the ranks of the battalion. Multiple wounds and concussions prevent him from returning to the battlefield. He and many others are trying to recover from the consequences of the war. Only 30 people from the original squad are still serving under the battalion's insignia. They are the core of the division. This is the second war for the soldier with the call sign Gardes. He bears the name of the city in Afghanistan, where he served in the 80s. Gardes is now fighting against his former comrades. One of them is in charge of a Russian squad in Luhansk. Alexander Fanyarafeev, Russian soldiers prosecuted in Ukraine, served under his command. I wanted to call him and tell him his men were imprisoned, but couldn't reach him. Oh, well. The celebration doesn't take long. In the end, the servicemen have to return to the occupied Donbass, even though originally the battalion was meant to serve in Kyiv. A wedding at a hospital is not what either of them have dreamt of. Alexander and Olena have been together for nearly five years. After Alexander lost his eyesight and a part of his leg at the front in eastern Ukraine, they both decided not to waste any more precious time. Olena didn't want a big wedding with a puffy dress and tons of flowers. Instead, she wants to save every penny for her husband's treatment. He sustained injuries during one of the missions in the east of the country. He almost lost his life, so now they both cherish every moment. I always thought I couldn't live without her. I honestly didn't think I could love her more, but now I do. I often tell him our love is at a different level now. After a brief wedding ceremony and somewhat of a reception, the couple heads for a walk. Olena practically lives at this hospital. Alexander claims his wife's support and love is what keeps him going. Olena says she finds new strength in her love for her husband. Most of the doctors didn't think he could make it through after his injuries, but she didn't give up. He didn't change at all. I don't even notice that anything changed about his face. I just love him, love him for who he is, and I'm never going to lose hope that he will see again. The couple keeps that hope alive while looking for treatment options abroad. Alexander has a long way to go when it comes to recovery, and Olena says she will be by his side as long as it takes. 
Read an exercise at the same time and place. Ukraine opens its first library with a gym. Now everyone can do bench squats and lift weights after reading novels by Jack London and Theodore Dreiser. The library administrators say they hope to attract more youngsters in such a way. The youth will come. You know, the younger generation has grown not to know what a library is. Hopefully we will remind them. Their predictions are right. The young people are actually attending the library now, and they are not the only ones. The library is popular with visitors of any age. The gym here is free to anyone who has a library pass. But people's motives to sign up are different. Some come to find a good book and exercise just for fun. Others, on the contrary, hit the gym first and then read the books to relax. I simply adore the idea. It's difficult for me to visit the gym at home. I have so many tasks and duties. But then I decided, if I come here, I should do some sports activity. Some visitors even come in pairs. While one is exercising, the other is reading books out loud. The only problem is to find a book we would both like. Nowadays there are more than 2,000 readers registered at the library. The administrators say their number is growing every day. Younger visitors joke it was simply not cool to read books before. Now they want to bring friends and have fun together. Another proud moment for Ukraine's Paralympic team at the IPC Swimming European Championships. The Ukrainian Paralympic swimming team now have 110 medals to show off. And the best part? A third of them are gold. It requires hard work physically, mentally. It is a very difficult job. However, despite all these difficulties, you know that you will have fun in the end. The victory came with another bonus. The Ukrainians also beat 10 records during the championships, making the swimmers the absolute winners and surpassing their main competitor, Russia. A church under a Lenin monument. Archaeologists found ruins of an old chapel buried under a square in the Ukrainian city of Krivirikh. The building was destroyed by the Soviet authorities. They put a statue of Lenin on top of the debris. After the Maidan revolution, the monument was toppled. And during the square reconstruction in 2016, the truth was unearthed. Historians say the ruins date back to the 18th century. At first the building was made out of wood. It was destroyed several times. In 1862 the local authorities built a new cathedral, this time with stone. The place was popular among the parishioners. Around 7,000 people used to visit the church. But when the Soviets came to power, they closed it down. They said the bells didn't let the people sleep. It was their formal reason to close it. They took down the bells. The Soviets turned the church into a storehouse. Later, they decided to destroy the building. So in 1932, they blew it up and sentenced the priest to prison in Siberia. Later, they installed the statue of Vladimir Lenin. The communists did their best to hush the memories of the chapel. Even the photos were wiped out, all except this one. It was sad, but what could we do? Only hope and pray. The Soviet dictator stood in the city center for almost 60 years, until activists took down all his statues in Krivirikh in 2014. So far, the museum workers have dug out around a half of the foundation. They have also found various artifacts – old coins, sconces and spoons. These showpieces will be displayed at the city museum. We have discovered the floor of the very first church, the one made of stone. It's around 200 years old. The local activists help uncover the building. They want the city mayor to turn it into an exhibition. According to the reconstruction plan, the square will be paved with tiles. The locals ask the authorities to keep the ruins under glass. The Forest Song, a mythical fairy tale by one of Ukraine's most popular poets, comes to life. The game is set to be released in about a year and a half. All the characters of Lesa Ukrainka's famed Forest Song 
will have a specific role in the game and a mission too. And the American creators say there is another bonus to the beloved Ukrainian story turning into a computer game. The characters will all speak Ukrainian. The game is going to be in Ukrainian, so all the conversations, everything going to be in Ukrainian. That's uh, one of the for sure goals. The creators of the Forest Song picked one of the best Ukrainian bands for the soundtrack, Dacha Praha. We bought tickets and we went to Dacha Bracha concert and all the guys, they're just like, they were blown away by Dacha Bracha because it's such a, amazing, we love them so much and it's not what they do, they do it like in a really very special way, I think. Dima Virovka hails from Odessa. He's well known in the U.S. for creating a very popular Never Alone game. He now wants to follow up on the success of his previous work with the Forest Song. Dima worked with Sean Vesky on the game. Both agree that this was an ambitious project that turned out to be much deeper than first thought. We deep into Western Ukraine uh, to be invited to a village and sit down and share a meal with, uh, with Ukrainians there, hear their stories directly. It was so inspiring. Uh, we drew so much information, so much knowledge. Dima and Sean say they're now at a point where they need people who truly know Ukrainian heritage and history, people who speak fluent English and are ready to tell the world more about Ukraine. Ukrainian Jed Maria is headed to Australia. This is the first trip to the land down under for the largest plane in the world. This is the first long-distance journey from Maria in 2016. The final destination for the massive jet is the Australian city of Perth. Thousands of spectators are expected to view the arrival and departure of Maria at the local airport. Ukrainian main Maria is a strategic airlift cargo aircraft able to carry up to 200 50 tons of weight. What would you do if you found a message in a bottle? Well, residents of a Ukrainian city of Mykolaiv can share a few tips about retrieving a letter dating back more than 30 years. The old champagne bottle was found by a janitor in one of the train compartments at a museum-style playground. I started to sweep, then saw a wire. For some reason, it piqued my curiosity, so I decided to pull it. And there it was a bottle with a message inside of it. Ms. Yekimenko handed the bottle over to the locomotive workers currently repairing the playground. At first, they say no one wanted to touch it for the fear of damaging the letter. In order to get the message out, Eduard Kolesnikov, who is a welder by trade, decided to make a special hook. He dragged the note out and right away figured out that it was written by someone in the locomotive depot. The train was painted, wrapped for parking at a playground. We are sending best wishes to the next generations. September 1st, 1983. A letter from the past. It's rare for someone to see a note like that during their lifetime. Volodymyr Popov, who wasn't the author of the message but took part in the process, says it was quite popular to leave a note for generations to come. Popov, a former locomotive crew commander, says the letter was actually written by two people, dictated by the director of the plant and handwritten by the painter. 